Hey there, and welcome to Radio Meteor. This is a podcast where I watch an episode of 80s anime Gundam Wing and I ramble about it because I talk faster than I type and I've got a bunch of thoughts. Just, like, a bunch. So I figured, why not share? Um, this episode, if you'll excuse the pun, is going to be something of a pilot. Um, it's a little experimental. I'm still figuring out how this works. Um, so just to sort of kick things off... Uh, let me explain what it is I'm doing. So this podcast will be a mix of meta, observation, general nerdery, and hopefully discussion as well. Um, consider it a kicking off point for fandom chat. Nothing formal, and I am certainly no expert. So if you've got something to say, or an idea, or there's something you've noticed, or I'm just plain wrong, you know, jump in. I'd love to hear from you. By way of introduction of myself, you may know me from Tumblr as Lemon Trash or Travel Lemon. Lemon Trash is my Gundam-specific blog. Um, it's where I hide all like the deeply nerdy stuff that I do. Uh, Travel Lemon is my main blog, and I also go by Odomaki, which is my AO3 handle. Each episode of this podcast will discuss one, count em, one episode of the show, uh, starting with episode one and finishing, well, wherever we finish up, I guess. If you want to watch along as well, and I, I certainly hope you do, then, you know, jump in. The plan was to use the original 1995 television release version of the show with Japanese audio and English subtitles, but somehow in my genius I have managed to delete the copies that I have uh, from episode 1 through to episode 22, so I don't have those anymore. So what I am using is the high-definition, slightly prettied-up version of the show, uh, again with Japanese audio and English subtitles, which is available for now on YouTube. Uh, keep it secret, keep it safe. I don't think there's a huge material difference, other than just some slightly nicer animation, between the versions that I did have and somehow deleted, and this YouTube version. So, you know, jump in on that. But I think for consistency's sake, from about from episode 22, the one that I have, I'll switch over to the old version. And again, I don't think there's a huge amount of difference, to be honest, but yeah, you never know. If I can get Japanese subtitles, uh, I will, just to kind of look at where the language affects it. Um, I have downloaded the ones that are out there, but they don't sync with the video that I have. Uh, so if anybody technical out there has a bright idea how to get that, you know, sorted out, please, please get in touch. Let me know. So, that's kind of it. That's the podcast. That's the premise. I'm Oda, and this is Radio Meteor. Welcome to Orbit. So here we go. Episode 1, The Shooting Star She Saw, or in Japanese, Shoujo ga mita yusei. Bit of a tongue twister in both languages, I have to say. There is honestly a lot to say about the first episode of, of any series because it has so much to do in terms of establishing character, establishing the story, and all that good stuff. I am going to assume that you have seen the episode this time because I think most people are fairly familiar with episode one of the show uh, and skip the recap of the content. Um, it is pretty straightforward. We get a kind of overview that there is an alliance, the alliance is bad, there are colonies, colonies are subjugated, they have launched Gundams, we meet Relina, she's annoyed at her dad, and it, it ends on that famous party invitation. So where do you really start with dissecting what the hell this is? I mean, there's a sort of a lot I could really talk about, but I don't want to overburden this first episode, so I think I'll stick some kind of down the line. So first of all, let's answer the question of, well, where does this sit in the greater 
Gundam Wing canon, so to speak. So we know that Gundam Wing is kind of the odd one out in the whole of the Gundam universe. It's very much the alternate universe amongst, well, a bunch of alternate universes. It's, if you've ever watched it, it's not quite as bad as Tenshi Muyo, where they just kind of 180 on you and you have no idea that it's even supposed to be an alternate universe. It has the same characters. It's very confusing. But the Gundam Wing is generally considered to be something of a standalone, other than, of course, uh, Frozen Teardrop. And I think there might be a few random references to Gundam Wing in some of the later series, but um, I have to admit, this is something I don't really know for sure. I have watched episode one of Gundam Unicorn, and I have read about half of Mobile Suit Gundam, the compiled novel in translation, which I should add is not the same as the Mobile Suit Gundam, the anime. Or not quite. They're both written by the same writer, but there's some fairly substantial differences between the two, both in plot and kind of uh, general feel to it. But so far, for a grand total of three out of three, uh, the Gundam franchise seems to run fairly formulaic. You have Antine, or a few of them, and they find a giant robot in space. And they go to war against oppressors of some sort. There is varying degrees of philosophy about war and the human condition. Like, the flavours vary, and they vary in intensity, but the meat is pretty much the same. So right off the bat, we've got a fairly key difference in that we don't see any of the pilots in Gundam Wing, their origin story. Like, we don't see them get their Gundams. Most of these other series seem to jump in at the point where they get their Gundam. So, for example, in Mobile Suit Gundam, we have Amuro Rei. Um, he is a civilian. His ship is attacked. He comes across the Gundam um, and uses it to defend his colony so that they can escape, or the remnants of his colony so that they can escape. Uh, and then he's obviously very good at it, it's natural ability, so he keeps it and yada yada yada. Um, in Mobile Suit Gundam, the novel, um, he is actually part of the sort of Federation military. He is training to be uh, a pilot and he goes on a mission to move some, some Gundams from a colony where they're being tested and stored. The colony gets attacked by, I don't know what we call Zeon, the like totalitarian regime that is rebelling against Earth. They're like a sort of second colony system uh, that have broken away from Earth and they kind of want to mess shit up. But yeah, they attack. He stumbles across the Gundam and he basically just co-ops it in order to arm himself uh, and gets into a fight. And then they say, well, actually, you were good at that, so will keep you on it. Um, there's a lot more discussion about new types, which I'll come back to, maybe not in this episode, but in a later one. And then in Gundam Unicorn, they really do pay a lot of homage to that original Mobile Suit Gundam uh, series. So you have the main character's Banager. He's, and I didn't appreciate this when I watched episode one, he's like a space janitor. It's very cute. He's a, he's a cadet type student. I don't know what he's doing. He's learning to pilot really mini mini mobile suits and clean up space debris uh, and then his colony gets attacked and or his school gets attacked and he finds the experimental Gundam and he spoilers kind of he meets the guy who's been designing it or working on it um, and they have a personal connection and the guy basically locks the Gundam to him biometrically so it'll only function for Banager which is the name of the character so yeah there we've got 
and it's a big difference in Gundam Wing. We we see them kind of fait accompli. They come fully fledged and trained, and they are designed to be Gundam pilots and not much else. Uh, so it's it's more of a way that the antagonists are introduced in the other Gundam series. So so again, in the like two and a half other canons that I've seen, this tends to be how the baddies are introduced. You know, they come as fully trained pilots, kind of higher up the scale, they've got specific roles, they're kind of already developed into those roles, and they're already very familiar with their machines, they're, you know, they're already good at what they do. So I think that's a kind of a curious departure that we get that, and I think it's also worth bearing in mind that it isn't as clean-cut as it appears, so I think we're presented with these Gundam pilots in Gundam Wing as, you know, they've been trained for this, they are the Gundam pilots and they are, you know, incredible, they've got these incredible machines, but actually um, none of them are all that great at what they do. Particularly if you bear in mind what happens in later episodes. Um, and then of course the other obvious difference is that there are five of them. Which brings me on to the next question, which is, who the hell's the protagonist here? Okay, so if we're asking who's the protagonist, you might answer, well, it's Hero, duh. And you may not be wrong, but at the same time, how much of a protagonist is he? Um, he's not the first primary character we see, so he's not like the first face we see in the series. Um, he doesn't have much by way of development in the first episode. Uh, he's actually something of a mystery, in fact. I'm not entirely clear if we get his name until quite late on. I didn't actually check that. I didn't check at which timestamp we hear his name for the first time. But I think that's also quite telling because the other characters, the other main characters in the other series, we get that like right off the bat, you know, straight out the gate. And even though he's kind of put forward as this kind of unusual and mysterious character, he's not, his, his mystery is kind of diluted a bit because we know there's five of them. Okay, it's not like they're suddenly surprised. It's like, oh my god, there's a second one. Like in Sailor Moon where they're like, oh my god, there are other Sailor Scouts. Like, didn't know this was going to happen. Even, even though we all do. You know, like in the series, it's not a shock. Like they know there are five of them. We know there are five of them. So how unique is he really? So I guess from the perspective of episode one, the there is a narrative argument that in fact the main character, at least for this episode, is Relina. Okay, even if we just look at how the credits and the, the interstitial snapshot, you know, that, that bit that comes up in the middle of the episode where they put the adverts, how she's presented there. She is, she's smack bang centre um, for a fair bit of it. Um, perhaps not so much for the theme tune. She does kind of fill the traditional, like, main character, main character fight scene, and there's a girl, and then back to main character kind of stick, you know, you know how those kind of anime titles tend to get set up. But um, she is the big giant head of that interstitial snapshot, which is often a spot reserved for the principal character or otherwise like the soul of the show. Um, like my instinct is to jump to Power Rangers. If you remember snapshots from that, you would have all five Power Rangers lined up with the red guy in the middle and then that big giant head guy that like, gives them their powers, is, like, floating in the background behind them. Like, Relina is, she is the big giant head. 
and you kind of get that a lot, I think, with these uh, kind of group protagonist kind of shows. But if you think about other narratives where you're generally introduced to the the main protagonist, and then you know he's got like a bunch of buddy sidekicks, and then there's a girl, um, usually what happens is that the protagonist is they're so so relatable and then something remarkable happens to them and then they meet their like cool destiny so with like Amuro Ray he's the main guy he's got a bunch of cadet buddy friends um he meets a girl and then or there are various women actually flown around him um ditto with Banerjee this is exactly his same story uh and then something remarkable happens that they get this Gundam and they realise they're really good at piloting it and then that's like cool handsome destiny that they can go off with. So in that light, in episode one, the character that that happens to is not Hero, is it? Hero is the remarkable something. He is the Obi-Wan, he is Luna the cat, he is the Edward Cullen, uh, the freaking well, well he's not a manic pixie dream girl but he's a grumpy murderous dream boy? The He's a fixer-upper, you know, what girl could resist? Yeah, not Relina, anyway. Um, but he's the thing that happens to other people. So in that respect, is he the protagonist? I think it's also quite interesting that it is not an ensemble anime, which usually gives you that one clear protagonist, and then they go like kind of questing around to find their allies, because destiny, and... Uh, it's very much like, okay, these guys are good, they're important, you know, power of friendship, um, but this guy is the one. And when push comes to shove, in every single crunch situation, this guy, or gal, is the character who is gonna, you know, step it up, save everybody else's ass, and there is kind of no doubt that he is, or she, is 100% necessary. You know, if they die, then we're fucked. You know, like, Sailor Moon cannot function without Sailor Moon. It's that kind of story. Whereas Hero is very, very good, but you kind of get the impression that if it all went south, like, if Hero carked it in that first episode, if he, if he punched the button on his spacesuit and actually blew himself to smithereens and, you know, that was it, they were like, well, we've got a dead guy on a beach. The show could kind of maybe go on. It wouldn't be as good, and the others would certainly have a harder time of things, but it wouldn't be impossible. So I think what I'm trying to say is that even from the outset, the show is unusual and complex on a number of levels. And uh, certainly it does seem to make this sort of departure away from these like stereotypical first episode rubrics. Yeah, so I'm just going to round off with a few things that I picked up on as I was re-watching the episode. Um, it'd be great to hear what else you have picked up on, uh, if there's something that kind of struck you second time round. I really love that the first thing you see of life in space is this curved landscape of the inside of a colony. And I don't know if anybody out there has also seen uh, Interstellar. That film, it came out ooh, back in 2014, I think. But that that image is just so ingrained now into the general kind of visual schemata of, of colony life in space. I really love that. I love that, you know, I'm not saying that Gundam Wing particularly innovated that or spread it around, but I love that there's this kind of like, 1995, we had that image. 2014, we still kind of have that image of what life could look like in space. I think that's actually quite 
a nice little nod. We often talk about how Gundam Wing is very anachronistic. Um, it looks freaking old-fashioned with their floppy disks and big fat monitors. Um, but it actually, in some ways, the science is, is pretty good. And certainly reading Mobile Suit Gundam, you can see that despite the fact it kind of came out in the 70s would have been the original series, um, early 80s, there was a lot of thought put into what life would be like in the future. Another thing I didn't really appreciate before is that Hero was heading to Thailand. Um, that completely escaped me. Uh, he was off to Eastern Eurasia and they kind of pinpoint Thailand as his target uh, for where he's going to initially land on Earth. And he then ends up into JAP Point Asia area, so he they kind of send him off to Japan, which is where Relina's at school, which I found also quite curious because I had just assumed that her school then and the Sand Kingdom were roughly in the same place, but evidently not. The next thing I really liked was that when we see Vice Primaris Sedalian's shuttle land, it lands at this sort of spaceport. And uh, I especially love this because I know that Kansai Airport was completed roughly around the same time as they were making Gundam Wing and it looks similar. Um, if you're not familiar with Kansai Airport it is kind of unique, it's a huge feat of engineering because it's built on a man-made island and it is very very eerie when you land. If you don't like flying you will not like it because you cannot see the runway as you're coming down. You're looking out the window it looks like the pilot's gone insane and he's just gonna like plow you into the ocean. So yeah I really love that there's this kind of like little nod to you know, this is what we're doing as, as engineers and as scientists on Earth, and this is kind of like what the future will look like. Yeah, so just a few points on on language that I picked up sort of with the translation. So when Zex is fighting Hero for the first time, he refers to it as omoshiroi, um, which is translated in the English version, or at least the English subtitles, as reckless. Omoshiroi is a really complex word in Japanese because it means so many different things depending on the context. Um, it can mean that that's interesting, it can mean that that's funny, so it doesn't, it's not a direct translation to reckless, he's not actually saying that. He's kind of just like, his interest is piqued in some way, and I think it is because Hero is being reckless, but that's not actually what he's saying. It's not necessarily a criticism, the way that the English presents it. Relina is pretty formal and polite, as you might respect, um, so it's perhaps worth running through the different ways you can say I in Japanese, because in English we only really have one way to say I. I suppose you can say one, or you could use the royal we, but uh, it's very rare that you meet someone who goes around being like, oh yes, one, one, one likes this, one does that, or uses we on a sort of frequent basis, other than perhaps the queen herself. So you have Watashi, which is the standard I, bog standard. You have boku, which is kind of like a more boyish I, it's less formal. You will get some younger women using this as well, but it's, it does have that kind of boyish connotation. You have ore. Ore is like much more boyish. It, it's definitely one that guys use. It's not something that you hear a lot of women using. It is has a kind of connotation of bigging yourself up, like you think you are the business if you use ore. It's not something that you hear in kind of quite formal situations, so like you wouldn't go into a business meeting and you wouldn't introduce yourself using ore unless you were the absolute head honcho and knew you could get away with it, because otherwise you'd be... it would make you look bad. 
Interestingly, Wufei uses ole. That's his pronoun. That's the one he uses to refer to himself. So Wufei has a, like an excellent opinion of, of his own self, self-esteem. Um, this boy in episode one is not lacking in confidence. Um, Duo doesn't use any pronoun. He just says kochi wa duo. Like this, this thing here is duo. Um, and he uses kochi, which is quite like casual. Yeah, he's quite slangy. He's quite fast. I also think it's interesting that when she pulls Hiro's helmet off, she actually says mada kodomo nanoni, which uh, mada is still kodomo means child. So she's not saying like, oh, it's a boy or oh, it's just a boy. She actually says like, oh, he's a child, which I think is kind of an interesting distinction. Um, there certainly seems to be a different way that like, I used to teach 15, 16 year olds um, in Japan. And okay, these were like, they were nice kids. They were like from nice families, but they would refer to themselves as children. And I certainly know that the attitude that I grew up with and like my peers grew up with was very much like Ariel and Little Mermaid. She's like, I'm 16, I'm, an, I'm not a child, daddy. So I think that's kind of an interesting, slightly like cultural difference there when she says, oh, he's still a child. The last word, which is very similar to omoshiroi, which is difficult to translate, is hidoi. So Rilina says hidoi, referring to what Hiro does at the end. And hidoi is kind of like, it's, it's negative. It can mean like, that's horrible, or that's harsh, or that's mean. Um, it can sound really childish, depending on your tone of voice. It can be like, you can sign up to use hidoi to be like, why are you picking on me, kind of kind of thing, or you can use it to really like express sympathy. It, it's a really complex word. And I think it kind of like, it shows something about her character. Um, I think it's also worth mentioning that at that stage, when Hero rips up that invitation, um, Relina really, really represents kind of everything he stands against as a Gundam pilot. She is, she's earthborn, she's rich, she's the richest girl in school. She comes at him with this presumption that she can know him, like, he owes her something, he owes her at least an explanation or his name, and she doesn't really have a clue at that point, uh, or at least he thinks that she has no freaking idea. Rilina is perhaps a little bit more clued up than she lets on, and, and I think she does learn quite quickly as well. You know, she, she, she definitely is kind of like a figurehead for what the colonies resent about the Alliance and about Earth, even though she's not Oz with a capital O. And I think the last thing that I really noticed and I really loved was that at the end where you get that final little run where they actually like, introduce the other Gundam pilot. So up till now it's in like Relina's story, Hero is like her mystery who turns up and then finally at the end we get a little hey and how do from the others and uh, I kind of like how they're introduced because the way that they're attacking really kind of like gives you an insight onto their personality so the first thing we see Gundam Death Side is, is attacking somebody from behind uh, and then he says like Kochiwa Duo and it's like surprise motherfucker here's Duo like it, it's, it's nice it's like that little shining moment and then at Dover, uh, Troa just walks in and blows shit to hell. Like, he has zero subtlety. Um, he, he's just, I'm just gonna walk right in, unload my guns. And then Katra's uh, attack is, he's got this like strategy to surround, and then he attempts to negotiate, and then, you know, it doesn't work, so he kills them, but 
that, that very much shows like his style and I quite like that they're establishing that these are very different personalities and then obviously Wufei turns up and he's like Orewa Wufei and then he just like flames everything that's about it I think for episode one um I hope you enjoyed that I hope you found that interesting I hope it gave you something to think about um if you have comments questions suggestions let me know. Um, I will put a link to where you can find these episodes and how you can contact me. You can obviously always contact me at lemontrash.tumblr.com. Um, I'm always there. Drop me a message. Tag me on Tumblr. I will keep an eye on things. And yeah, I'll see you in orbit next time. Bye!